Hello and welcome to Tag One Team Talks, the vlog and podcast of Tag One Consulting. We're celebrating over 20 years of Drupal with an interview series featuring community leaders talking about their Drupal experience. I'm really excited to have Alex Ross on the show today. Alex is the Senior Director of Software Engineering at NBC Universal, but you may also know him as Bleen on Drupal.org. Alex, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely, thanks for having me. To give everybody a little bit of background, um, Alex has been a member of the community for around 16 years, and he's contributed in countless ways to Drupal and the Drupal platform and the Drupal community. Uh, today, we're going to touch on what he likes about the platform, uh, what he'd like to see change, uh, his role as a module maintainer. Uh, his many projects include reCAPTCHA, Dart, uh, Advanced Image Crop, Akamai ESI, uh, just to name a few as well as how his contributions have changed over time. We're also going to talk about his role as the co-organizer of the New York City Drupal Meetup. It's not only one of the best run and most well-attended meetups I've been to, um, and I've been to a ton of Drupal meetups around the world. Uh, it's also one of the most gorgeous meetup settings hosted by NBCU at the famous 30 Rock headquarters in a beautiful conference room overlooking Rockefeller Center. So if you're ever in New York City and they're running them, please go check them out. I'm Michael Myers, the Managing Director of Tag One Consulting. Tag One is the number two all-time contributor to Drupal, and we build large-scale applications for Fortune 500s and large organizations in every sector with Drupal, as well as many other technologies. Dries, the founder of Drupal, once said, it's really the Drupal community and not so much the software that makes Drupal what it is. And so our goal with this interview series is to introduce you to community leaders, talk about their stories, and in sharing these stories, we hope that they will inspire you to get more involved in open source communities. So Alex, when did you first discover Drupal? And you know, do you recall your initial assessment or thinking at the time? Yeah, I, I actually remember it pretty well. Um, I was working at a nonprofit called Do Something. And it was my first job really after I finished grad school and I was just trying to figure out which way was up. And um, we had an intern, a high school intern, Andrew Levine, um, who to this day is one of the smartest people that I, I ever met. And I'm still waiting for my call so that I can go work for him one day. But um, he came in my office and we were trying to figure out um, how to put the new website together. And he said, you know, have you heard about this Drupal thing? And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so I went over to his desk and he started kind of, you know, giving me the guided tour. And he was trying to explain to me what a node was versus a module. Um, and the, at that moment, I actually remember that conversation really well. I had a really hard time distinguishing the difference between a node and a module because this was back in Drupal 5. Um, when a node, uh, you know, to, to kind of define a new node type was basically create a new module. Um, and it, would, it was a very confusing time. Um, but I remember that really well. And, and I said, I don't know, this seems like overly complex. All we need is a simple website. Um, and then two days later, he walked into my office and said, okay, I made you a simple website. And that was kind of like, no, I mean, surely not. I mean, we had to have... Um, you know, a, a certain set of, of features and there's no way you could clearly have made everything that we need. And he, you know, he walked me through it and it didn't have everything, but it had a lot. Um, and so we kind of started there and, and played with it for a while. And I finally figured out the difference between a node and a module and uh, the rest is history. <laughs> 
they, they introduced entities and <laughs> always oh, trying yeah. to- then entities became a thing and it was great <laughs> so you know you went from discovering drupal um how did you get engaged in uh contribution uh and yeah. do you remember what your first contribution is mm -hmm. so when um i don't remember exactly what I was trying to do, um, but I was, I was trying to do something and we were uh, you know, running into a wall and I was searching through all the, the various posts on drupal.org. And um, I found an issue that had nothing to do with the problem that we were having, um, but I'm like, oh, I have that same issue. And, and that was, it was actually like a, a defining moment for me. It suddenly occurred to me that I'm not the only person that's using this thing. There are, I hadn't been introduced to other open source projects. I wasn't really into it. And, and it suddenly dawned on me, oh, wait a minute, some, some guy in, in you know, Portland was having the same problem that I was having. And if I start to read through and I was able, it was something else that I, you know, I wasn't trying to solve at that moment, but it was something else. And by reading through that issue, I was able to really understand, oh, okay, so he tried this and this and this. Well, I tried this and this and this. And so I put a comment in there that was just like, oh, I tried this other thing and that didn't work either. Anybody, you know, and eventually someone else commented and someone else commented, which was amazing. Um, it hadn't dawned on me that that could happen. Um, and then skip ahead a little bit of time before I actually was like, okay, I've looked at enough of these and I've read through enough of these now that I, I feel like I could take something. So I went, I actually went dumpster diving in the issue queue and just found something that I thought was simple enough that I could do without embarrassing myself. Um, and it was, they were working on the, the shortcuts module at the time, um, which I don't even think exists anymore, but it, it was there and it was great at the time. And they were trying to get it into, I think they were trying to get it into Drupal 6, but didn't manage to get it there and it ended up in Drupal 7. Um, uh, but there was a, um, like a, a an issue with the little icon that showed up next to it being totally out of place in a certain circumstance. And I was like, I know how to fix that. Um, and I won't embarrass myself doing it. And I did it and, and you know, WebChick committed it ultimately and made some comment about tar and feathering me. And I thought it was hilarious. And, and then I just, I, I got like a, a, you know, an adrenaline high from that. So I said, oh, I'll do another one. And I did another one and I did another one. Then I suddenly like, you know, decided, wait a minute, I should probably do these for things that I actually like need to focus on and, and you know, trying to scratch my own itch. I, I love the concept of dumpster diving the issue queue. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just to remind people, like, you know, we got involved in Drupal almost 20 years ago. Um, open source, you know, it, it was there, you know, Linux, yeah. you know, was around, but like almost everything I had done and built was in proprietary software. And I had a very similar experience. It was like transformative. Of course, nowadays it's you know GitHub. You know it's sort of the norm, um, but you know it's 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 interesting to to see how long it took to get to this point. Um, I, I agree. I, I remember trying to convince once I once I left this nonprofit that I was working for, and I was working for kind of more you know larger corporations, and went and trying to convince them about open source and what the value of it was to even a big corporation. Well, it was an uphill it was an uphill discussion because if, if if you couldn't point them to the company that they had to write a check to, you know, so that they can yell at them when something didn't work, then they didn't want it. And that was a, that was a weird conversation with them. It's like, no, 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 you don't have to write the check, but you have to make sure that everybody has um, the freedom to go in and like spend the time to fix the issues that you want fixed. 
Um, that was a very confusing thing to the corporate types that I was, I started to work for back in the day. Um, how did you end up with Bleen as your username? <laughs> so there's a, there's a real story. When I was, I must've been 12 or something and AOL started to become a thing. Um, and you had to pick your AOL username in order to IM people. Um, and I had very recently played a joke on a friend of mine based on it. There's an old George Carlin routine, actually, where he's reading the, the fake news. And one of the fake news stories is scientists at Caltech have discovered a new number. The number is Bleen. They claim it comes between six and seven. And I thought this was like the funniest thing I had ever heard. And I convinced a friend of mine in middle school that it was true. And like, just for like, like a couple of hours during the day. And I convinced her it was real. And she's sitting there like, well, but wait a minute, then what comes after 16? Is that my bling team? I'm just trying to like go with it. Um, and it happened that that was the week that I needed to pick my AOL IM name. And, you know, so there it was and it stuck and it's been bling ever since. So that is the origin of bling. <laughs> is AIM around anymore? I don't, I don't think AIM is around anymore, but yeah, that was, that was me. I was Bleen 6-7 on AIM. Oh, it's good times. <laughs> I love that you've kept that since 12. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Yep. <laughs> yep, that's just been my online persona. And, it, and it's, it's increased in meaning since then. Like there was an episode of, uh, for you kids out there, there was a show called Married with Children, which was, uh, you know, kind of Al Bundy. Um, and there was an episode of that where um, she discovered a new color, which was bleen, which is a, a mix between blue and green. And there was, you know, so, and then there was a, a Russian pop group that uh, uh, started called bleen and they stole bleen.com before I could get a hold of it. So, oh, well. Uh-huh. <laughs> got to monitor that <laughs> and grab it. Um, so how did you go from making individual contributions to becoming a module maintainer? Yeah. Um, the, the first, I don't remember which one it was, but the first module I started maintaining, I, I started kind of co-maintaining a module that existed and was out there in the world. Um, but I know that I did it because I was very dogmatic when it came to, if I patch a module, I want that patch to be in the module so that I don't have to like care and feed for that patch any longer. And so I posted my patch up to, I don't remember which one it was, but up to whatever the issue queue was for that module, suggesting that it get, um, that it get committed. And the, the person who was um, maintaining the module just wasn't responsive and, and whatnot. So I just kind of kept stalking him and said, you know, I, I, if you let me put this patch in, I'll co-maintain the module. And he's like, oh, thank God. And you know, cause he, he was done with this particular module. Mm -hmm. um, and so I did. And, and you know, so I, I, I got to commit my patch in and make sure I didn't have to, to worry about it anymore. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I liked the, um, the activities that were kind of involved with evaluating other people's suggestions and patches and whatnot. And so I got to play in that sandbox for a little while. Um, and then, you know, once you do that, then you get to be, actually, this was back when you had to like get permission from someone to maintain a module, um, like to start a module, you had to like know someone. Um, and uh, uh, I was at, I don't remember where I was, but one of, one of the, the folks that I had been working with, um, you know, knew the right person and, and got, me, got me in so that I could have um, maintainer permissions on Drupal.org. Um, yeah, but that's how I got into it. And then once I started like kind of creating my own modules that would actually be useful, I was like, all right, I'm here. 
I think, you know, one of the most amazing things to me about Drupal is, is, and this is inextricably linked to the success of the software, but, you know, the size of the community has grown so much over time and we had to evolve from, you had to know someone who knew someone mm -hmm. to now there's all these like rules and regulations and formal processes, you know, and, and that's critical to, to scaling. Um, but I think that, you know, not only did the community build great software, but they did a really great job of sort of fostering that growth. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Although in, in the context. I, I'll say I miss it. I miss the little bit more of the Wild West that it started as. Right. Yeah, when, sure. when we first got in there, it was, and I understand all the reasonings why it has, you know, kind of evolved how it has, but I, there was a little bit of a sense of, um, or there was a little bit more of a sense of I'm just going to go in there and I'm going to fix that, and I'm and and so I did. Whereas now it's I'm going to go in there and fix that, but I'm going to talk to these three people first, and I'm going to come up with a plan, and we're going to like you know schedule it in for something, and and it's it's just a little less um, you know just I don't even know the word, but it's it's just there's a little bit less of that uh, ownership even I would say on the part of just an individual who's just jumping in. Yeah, no, I mean, it, I, I agree 100%. It, it impacts everything from like the pace of innovation of the community, yeah. because we have to go through this, you know, whole process. It's, uh, for me, it is so frustrating, you know, <laughs> like the length of time, like, it, like, if you think about how we build software at work, uh, even mm -hmm. if we end up open sourcing it, like it's, it's a very streamlined, you know, if not very aggressive process. Um, and, and, you know, um, then you go into the community now with all sorts, you know, it's because it's so mature, you know, I wonder if that's impacting, you know, people's desire to contribute because it's a totally different world than it was, you know? Yeah, I, no, I, I agree. I think that it is a lot harder now for someone to just make that leap and say, um, you know, oh, I just found an issue that I, you know, uh, uh, that I think I can handle. I'll just throw a patch in there. You know, I think it's, I think it's, there's a bigger barrier to entry for that, for that person, um, much more so now than there was. Yeah. You have to really care about it to navigate the issue queue and fight for yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's not a casual affair anymore. Yeah. Uh, but, but on the flip side, you're, 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 you know, less kind of less bad code gets in now, you know, that you're going to have to like, uh, uh, worry about in two years, how are we going to unwind this mess kind of thing? Yeah, it is a very thoughtful process. And again, it's, it's probably a big part of why things are still around after 20 years is because that, you know, so it's, it's, it's the, the trade-offs, I guess. Um, you know, you mentioned something, you know, you're, you're, you know, you went to the module maintainer, he was so thrilled that you wanted to take it over. Mm -hmm. You know, there's sort of a life cycle of being a module maintainer where it gets to the point where like it becomes this, you know, thankless task and everybody wants you to do something. And like, you know, <laughs> um, you know, having maintained so many modules, you know, uh, and looking back, is there any advice that you would give a module maintainer, you know, for their sanity, for their success? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I would say that um, one thing, I would say one mistake I made early on is thinking I needed to do everything that was suggested in the issue queue. Like there was a, very early on, especially I would, someone would propose, oh, it would be really great if it had this feature. And so suddenly I'm like, oh man, I have homework now, you know, like, okay. And I gotta, I gotta like figure out how to help this person's use case. 
Um, whereas today it's much more so, um, you know, I, I, I have much more of my own opinion about how the module should be used or, or you know, what the, the right, you know, the right way to, to uh, decide what, uh, what feature is actually um, uh, applicable in that particular case. And I've said no, you know, that it took me a long time as a module maintainer before I was like, no, I don't think that's the right thing to do. I mean, you gotta be nice about it. You wanna, you know, you, know, you don't wanna be just an obnoxious, like, no, I hate you. Um, but, uh, but you should have your own kind of point of view of, of your module and where it, where it should go, where you want it to go. Um, you know, that's, I'd say that's advice. Awesome. Um, you know, uh... We, we all know that um, successful open source projects are, are more than code. You know, I mentioned at the opening, you know, uh, Trees' quote that I love. Um, yeah. You were a big part of the New York City meetup. Uh, I lived in New York City for most of my life. Um, you know, um, how did you first get involved in the New York City meetup? Uh, you know, uh, had it, was it already established uh, when you it came was, along? Yeah, it was established when I came along. Um, so my kind of... Um, the first person I really kind of like looked up to that I was able to meet in person in the Drupal community was, uh, was, was Robbie the Geek, um, uh, Robbie Holmes. And he was running it at the time that I kind of joined. And it was being, uh, it was meeting up at the World Trade Center actually um, in World Trade 4, if I remember. I remember the conference room really well. It was at, at some magazine publisher was hosting. Fast Company. Yeah, so, yeah, I think that was it. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I remember having a similar experience to what I described before is I, I kind of walked in this room um, and there were 50 other people who knew the thing I knew that I didn't think other people knew, you know, and um, they presented a bunch of, you know, interesting stuff and uh, hey, I'm working on this module or someone else presented on, um, you know, at the time, I forget what it was called, there was a fork of Drupal 6 um, that like allowed for like caching to work properly. Um, press flow. Press flow, yeah. And someone was, you know, someone was presenting on like, what were the things they actually changed in press flow to like make it work? Um, because prior to that, and, and I remember prior to that, it was to me, again, I, I became very dogmatic about open source, even though I didn't really understand it to its fullest. Um, and to me, the idea that someone had forked Drupal itself and made some changes was like foreboding. That's awful because now every time there's an update, I'm going to have to worry about the fact that um, there's a new version of Drupal 6, but there are these little tweaks and changes that I have to worry about over here. What's going to happen there? I didn't realize at the time that the people who were running Pressflow were basically like the kind of pinnacle of Drupal um, and I didn't really have to worry. But until I saw that presentation at that meetup, um, I, I really had no idea. Um, but I was also, I was very surprised at the number of people that were there. It was like 50 or 60 people that were there all stuffed into this conference room that was not meant for 50 or 60 people. Um, and I just, you know, then, then it just became about, I like these people, right? These are actually some, some pretty cool people. And I enjoy spending time with these people. So I would go regularly and, you know, this one moved and that one got a different job and whatever. And eventually like, you know, you, you you fall into this thing. No, I don't think anybody grows up and says, I want to run the Drupal meetup when I grow up. I think you, you just kind of become one of the, uh, the organizers. Um, and we were able to do it at, at 30 Rock for quite some time. Um, but uh, unfortunately, um, you know, uh, 
there was a period actually it was right before COVID where uh, the Rockefeller Center security folks decided that they were no longer going to allow us to do it. So it did end at Rockefeller Center a couple of years ago. Um, and then since then, uh, it's been largely taken over by a couple other people and they've been doing remote meetups, um, which is great. And it's allowed certain people to kind of come back who were part of the community and, um, you know, they were, whoops, um, they were able to, uh, you know, kind of rejoin a little bit. Um, but yeah. Um, I, uh, I vividly remember the, uh, the World Trade Center, that conference table. Yeah, that big, long table. You. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's crazy when you said that. Like The memories just came flooding back to me. Um, and I also remember every time you'd go to the 30 Rock conference, you had to like be escorted from the lobby to the room by a page. Yeah. <laughs> like Kenneth, Kenneth the page was there to like walk you to your Drupal meetup. It was very cool. <laughs> you yeah. literally were not allowed to go anywhere if you weren't escorted. Uh, it was pretty funny. Um, I think uh, I think the press flow folks would prefer you call it a spoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fork is such a dirty word. It is, I know. Um, and, it, and it really wasn't such a fork. It really was like, I remember it was like 14 lines of code that had to change in two files. Um, just to allow for caching, and I, I, you know, but I, I'd never heard the term uh, that they they prefer I call it a spoon rather than a fork. I like that a lot, actually. I'm Mosh definitely, Weitzman definitely going to steal that. that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I learned spoon from Mosh. Um, fun fact uh, that was uh, so. Pressflow was created by Tag One with David Strauss, who you know is the CTO and co-founder of Pantheon. Uh, Tag One still maintains Drupal Six Pressflow. Wow. <laughs> Really? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Right. I mean, I guess there's there's definitely some sites out there. You guys wouldn't be doing it. That that's amazing. We uh, yeah, we're the only provider that's left. Uh, we're there are only two uh, of Triple uh, Six long term support. Uh, mm -hmm. We're going to end it uh, at the end of this year. Um, Congratulations! But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been like eight years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I love that Press Flow is still around. Oh God! Wow. <laughs> You know, you talked about, you know, the the maintainer of a, a, a you know, a, a module owner, sort of the life cycle and, you know, how your, you know, how things change over time, you know, the meetup and how that changed. Um, your community contributions are similar, right? Just like the maturity of the platform, it's been a really long time. Uh, I'm curious, you know, how have things, you know, uh, have things changed over time for you with your community contributions? Yeah, um, definitely. And, and you know, I would say over the last couple of years in particular, I've been less involved with the Drupal community. I mean, I, I still I still like it there. So I still kind of poke my head in um, and I still try and keep in touch with some of the folks that I keep in touch with. But in terms of real, you know, uh, substantial contributions, it's, it, it has been a few years. I, I think that there's a few reasons why that, at least in my case, why that happened. Um, the most, you know, obvious and the, and the easiest to talk about is that my team within NBC kind of started moving away from content management in general, right? So we we kind of, there was a reorg of a reorg as, as things go in large corporations. 
Um, and my team ended up in a world where we were much more concerned about um, kind of moving moving our content around to you know licensees and, and you know when Netflix or Hulu writes us a big check we got to give them the content and and that sort of stuff um, and there wasn't so much um, you know publishers coming in and like curating content and, and hitting save and, and expecting it to show up on a site or on a, on a web app or something along those lines. Um, so in that sense, it makes a lot of sense um, uh, that I my participation has dropped because my day to day just doesn't use it so much anymore. We do still have one um, system that that is in my world that's a Drupal based system, and I, I love you know just checking in with them every so often still. But it's just not as much, and it's not as high profile. Um, but the other thing I would say is, and we we touched on this a little bit earlier, but I I think that. Um, some of the ways in which the community, um, or not the community, but the, the project itself has changed and become more complex um, just to get involved in it. It's become more complex to handle things like issue queues and, and handle that sort of, you know, I, I just don't think that I had in my personal life, right? So if I'm not going to do it at work, then my only other choice is to kind of keep doing it on my own. I don't think in my personal life I had the bandwidth to really kind of tackle those things. And because they were getting harder and not easier, because they were taking more time and not less, it, you know, it, it, it was that much more difficult to continue. Um, I do still play around um, in, with one of my modules with some regularity, which is the focal point module, which has always been my favorite. Um, you know, parents are not supposed to say they have a favorite, but I do. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I am in there still um, just to keep myself you know, up to date and, and know what's going on. And I, I really enjoyed working on that module. So I, I kind of play around in there still, but it's definitely less, which is sad, but it's okay. Yeah, I, the Drupal community is, you know, of the technology, you know, communities and meetups and whatever that I've been part of, there's something special about it. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and there are all these amazing people, um, you know, that I don't get to interact with as, as frequently, but fundamentally open source is about scratching your own itch. Right, yeah. it's on altruism, and, and and you know it makes total sense. Um, you touched on something there, uh, focal point. I, I saw that you uh, were credited with a security advisory around focal point at one point, mm -hmm. and um, you know not many people have been involved in the you know Drupal security team, the Drupal security team process. You know, it's a pretty small group. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, do you remember what, what like? What happened? Like what that process was like? I, I definitely, I believe that the, oh, I think I remember what it was. Um, I think there were so focal point just to like super high level. It allows the user to just you know click once on the image once they've uploaded it and say here's the important part of the image so that whenever the image is cropped later it crops in the right place. And as excuse me, as part of that module, it includes a preview. So you hit you know preview under your image, and it will show you of your um, image styles. Oh, these are the five that use focal point, and they'll look like this based on you know. So you may have one that's really long, we have one that's this way, and so on. Um, uh, I think that the issue was if you click that link, you could DDoS a site, right? If you like, if you, not if you click the link, but if you um, if you manipulate that link, you could DDoS a site and try and generate like every image a million times for, you know, on, on the entire site or something, something along those lines. And that's, you know, that's bad, right? We, should, we don't want that. Um, and so I worked with um, the security team um, on adding a token to the link that was then checked on the way in. And if that token wasn't there, then 
you know, the, um, uh, the, the request would just get denied in some fashion or other. Um, but I remember the process was pretty, it was very similar and very straightforward to a normal issue queue process um, where someone just reports a bug. It was, it was very similar to that. Um, you just had um, a, you know, a, a, a small but mighty group of superheroes who were there helping you like review the patch and whatever it was. And they weren't very interested in, does it work? They were only really interested in, does this solve the very, very specific security issue that was brought up? Right, um, they're not they're they're not looking for the function of the you know of the module and, and is it still doing what it's supposed to do? But does it prevent a DDoS attack on your site? Yes. Okay, then we're fine with this patch. Um, the rest is up to you, sort of thing. Um, and then the only other part that was really different is when is when you release it. You're kind of whereas normally when you're a module maintainer, you want to create a release. You just wake up that morning, you kind of go like that, start typing, and you have a release. Um, whereas with this, you kind of have someone holding your hand a little bit along the way. Um, and they're like, don't release it now, not now. Okay. And go. And then, you know, it, you kind of have a little bit of that start and stop. Um, but once you do it, it's just a normal release and, you know, then it's out there. The, uh, the focal point module is, is really popular. And in particular with, with major media companies, I remember, you know, working with PAC 12, they loved it. You know, it solved huge problems for them. So I wonder if like your biggest contribution to Drupal was like DDoSing every major media company. In the world. <laughs> it is entirely possible. I, I actually, I never heard of a situation where it actually happened, but someone did, you know, kind of pick up on, pick, pick up on it one day and, uh, and bring it to my attention. So, yeah. We, we were talking about uh, meetups and, you know, I, like I said, I just vividly remember that conference room and, you know, even, yeah. even conversations I had with people. It's so yeah. crazy. Um, do you uh, have like a favorite uh, memory or experience, um, you know, uh, over the years? Well, I can tell you, this isn't my favorite memory or experience over the year at all, but I will tell you that there was a very particular reason why we had to stop doing the meetups in the World Trade Center. And it was because of me. And there, <laughs> there was, there, I, I, I felt terrible about this, but it happened. There was, a, um, there was one meetup one night where um, the, the doors were locked already and you had someone on the inside had to like wave at the motion sensor to unlock the door for the next person to get in and i just for no reason whatsoever i decided to jump up and wave at the at the, the thing just like that jumped up and waved at the thing and there was some woman who worked at fast company in in the lobby and saw me do this and was incensed that I would jump up and fool around during this thing. And the next day we got a call that they will no longer allow us to host a meetup there. So it's definitely not one of my favorite memories, but I do know that I am definitely the reason why we had to stop having them there, which is part of the reason why I think I felt really guilty and made sure that we could have it at NBC um, afterwards. So there you go. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. It was an upgrade. That room was yeah. way too small for it the people. Way too small. It worked out <laughs> the, at the end, but um, no, I think I think one of my favorite memories was we used to do um, Drupal you know, uh, Drupal Camp NYC over in Brooklyn at um, Brooklyn Tech, and I, I my first one of those I remember it was before I'd ever been to a Drupal Con. And I remember going there and I got my white, you know, I heart Drupal, you know, t-shirt, uh, no, I Drupal NY t-shirt, which I still have if I go in the other room. 
Um, it's old now and it's kind of ratty, but it, I still got that one. Um, and, you know, I, I was just like, you know, session after session after session of really good information. It was still at that stage where I was a sponge for this stuff. And I, I remember that conference more than any DrupalCon I was at, more than any other nice camp or Drupal NYC or any of those. And it was terrific. It was just a lot of fun. It was great people. I enjoyed it. That was, that's my best memory of, of these kind of meetups and things like that. It was good stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The whole uh, camp process is, uh, has been a lot of fun. There have been, there have been some amazing yeah. ones. Um, what's your favorite and least favorite aspect of Drupal, the software? Uh. <laughs> Um, I mean, my favorite aspect of Drupal, the software is, is definitely easier, which is it, it's built even, even way back when, but still obviously today, it is built from the ground up with the expectation of being changed and modified and improved for the user, you know, for the use case. And that's not unique to Drupal. I mean, there's other, obviously there's other open source projects that are like that. Um, but it's very consciously done in that way. And therefore it's, it, it's, it's primary, it's kind of like raison d'etre is I am here to be the beginning, not the end product. I'm here to start you off so that you don't have to write a user login thing again, because we've all, you know, I mean, everyone who, everyone who makes websites or thing, you know, Drupal, you know, kind of based sites and, and apps, like we've all written 10 user login systems before we finally get to Drupal sort of thing. Um, and nobody wants to do that again. Like nobody on earth ever wants to write one of those again. So you don't have to worry about that, but it's there and it's prepped and it's primed for you to sit there and go, ah, but I really do need something that does this unique thing for my use case. And, and it lays it out for you. It's like, it's kind of just unfolds, um, which is definitely, you know, that, that was, it's, it's, you know, uh, uh, uh kind of biggest asset as far as I'm concerned. That, that was the thing that that really sucked me in and hooked me in there is, is, oh, I don't have to worry about the stuff I don't really want to worry about. I can just worry about my needs. In terms of what's, you know, what's difficult or, or what I dislike, um, <laughs> I know I personally had a really hard transition between uh, Drupal 7 and Drupal 8. And that was when, and I'm not alone in this, but that was when it became um, like the scales tipped a little bit. With Drupal 7, it was much more for kind of, I don't want to say hobbyists because it wasn't, but like someone who could be really just self-taught, I figured this stuff out myself and I'm, I, I can just dive in. And within a few minutes, I could get going and know what I'm doing to a degree. Drupal 8 is when that switched. You really needed to understand certain concepts of like, computer science or, or in that, in that formal, formal programming more so than just, I can jump in and do it. And I had a tough time with that. I remember when, when Drupal 8 first kind of was starting to get developed and I had a similar moment where I'm, where I want, I'm going to go dumpster diving in the issue queue and I'm going to see what, you know, something small that I could just work on to like see what Drupal 8 is all about. And it was, it was something super, super small. And I wrote one line of code as a patch. And I was like, look, it works. And it did. And it passed the tests and everything worked. But it was like 10 pages of, of code reviews on it telling me why, well, this isn't the way that we're doing it anymore. Like that's, you, you need to write a listener that first does this. And, and you need, this is going to, clearly doesn't need a whole new class. And, I, and I'm sitting there going, yeah, but, but in this one line, I can get done what, 
the intent of this is. Um, and I felt at that moment, I felt like it was, it was, you know, it lost some luster at that exact moment in my eyes. That was a hard thing, but eventually I got it and eventually I figured it out. And, and once I did, it, it made sense again, but it took a lot longer. Um, I felt bad for the person who was coming into Drupal 8 as their first, you know, introduction to Drupal versus someone coming in at Drupal 5 or Drupal 6, where you could just read the code and it was almost just a flow, you know? Yeah, no, it's what we talked about earlier. It used to be so much easier to contribute and not only did it get more complex, but like extremely verbose yeah. <laughs> in the process. Yeah. Um, ultimately, you know, I always struggle with the fact, you know, uh, Drupal 7 appealed, I think, to a much broader audience because of that factor. Mm -hmm. Small nonprofits, you know, individuals even. Um, now it's, you know, migrated more into the enterprise domain because of this maturity and, and, and complexity. Um, ultimately, do you see, uh, you know, on some, you know, on one hand, it may have been necessary, right? Because mm -hmm. it may not have stayed relevant as a platform if we didn't evolve, you know, evolve to include these tool chains and build processes and everything. And um, on the other, it dramatically changed, you know, uh, other aspects, barrier entry, users. Um, ultimately, do you think that it was uh, a good change? Um, I don't know. Because sometimes, you know, if, if I put on my, my corporate hat, Yes, right. Because what was being brought in, and you know, what that change kind of led to was exactly what what we're saying, which was the ability for a big corporation, a big enterprise, to to not only be able to use the thing, but be able to integrate it into the larger processes that were in place. When you have a whole separate team that's working on monitoring and alerts and deployments and things like that, which some companies have and are able to do that a nonprofit's never going to have, right? It's just not going to be practical. Well, you know, you, you need to be able to hook into all of those things and be able to have certain, a certain level of expectation to make it work. Now, on the other hand, I'm going to put on my, I'm a member of the PTA at my kid's school hat and my kid's school really needed a new website. And I was like, well, I can do that. I mean, I'm, and I just broke out, a, a, you know, what I thought was like a simple D8 site at the time. And it was a slog. It, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't the right tool for a PTA website anymore. I did it anyway, because, you know, it was, it was a nail and I had a hammer kind of thing, but it wasn't any longer that the right tool for, hey, we just want to be able to put up a couple of new announcements every week and have a, you know, a sign up for the base bake sale form. Like it, it, it was too much. Um, and um, it was too difficult to like keep up even with, with all of the um, new versions of everything, like as, as module, you know, would be improved and there was a new release or new whatever. Um, it wasn't practical anymore for that kind of a world. So, was it a good thing? It depends on which hat I'm wearing. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, it's become an enterprise platform. Um, yeah. I, I run Drupal for, for two personal websites um, just to run Drupal. It's like right. ridiculous to do it for this purpose. Actually, it's a really great fit for one um, because of you know, the content types, ease creating things. But anyway, um, just updating the software upon releases yeah. is a pain in the ass for me. Um, you know, I wish that, you know, I know Pantheon has autopilot, you know, there are some solutions that are coming out, but it's like, um, yeah, uh, ju literally just updating the software is, you know, 
too much for me for these, like for personal usage. It's just, you yeah. know. It's um, not, it, it really, one thing I've noticed, it's not meant for one person anymore. That's part of the issue is it, it, the expectation is that you have a team and that team might be two or three people, but you have a team of people working on a site um, in terms of like the, the, the care and feeding and maintenance of it. Um, and that's not everyone has that. You know, there are, there's a, a thousand use cases we can come up with right now on sites that need to be out there. And, and we, where we would have thought when it was Drupal 7 that it was, Drupal was the perfect solution for that you know, use case where it just really isn't anymore. And that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I wish there were more tools like autopilot, you know, whether they were commercial tools like that or, mm -hmm. you know, things in the community. I've always wished there would be like some sort of layer of abstraction. So you can have your cake and eat it too. Like, is there a way that I could easily contribute to eight, you know, eight, nine or 10 while right. having to get into, you know, the crazy complexity but the reality is, as a community, we can barely, you know, handle eight, nine, and 10, and we're keeping right. seven around. And so, you know, those are sort of, it's just impractical for an open source community to, to do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's what would make it approachable for, for me, you know, as a personal person. I, I agree. I also, I mean, I, I think that that's, you know, I don't know if it's like a, you know, not a great topic to bring up, but I think that's where Backdrop came up. I mean, it really, they saw the, the fact, I think that enough people agree with us and it's not a big surprise that enough people do it. Enough people agree with us that that was, there was a vacuum all of a sudden and that's where they tried to step in. Um, and, you know, I'm sure it's, I haven't, I, you know, full disclosure, I haven't really played with it, but yeah. I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it can kind of, you know, continue to, to sit in that space where I need to make a site for my PTA and, and you know, maybe that, maybe that's the right tool. That was a fork. <laughs> that was a fork. There's, yes, no spoons there. A very big, sharp fork. Yes. <laughs> um, so where do you, you know, for Drupal to continue to be relevant, you know, five, 10 years down the line, uh, what do you think needs to happen? You know, do, do you think that's possible? And if so, you know, I, you know, it's interesting. I'm not sure. I think that one, in a weird way, one of the things that Drupal is, is kind of fighting as far as headwinds go is just the fact that it's PHP based. And that alone is a, that it's a tough one. I mean, yes, PHP is still out there and it runs whatever 60% of things and, and whatever, you know, the stats are these days and that's fine and well and good. But I've, in my current role, I interview lots of people, you know, for, for various development roles. And, and I'm very involved at NBC in some of our kind of like rotational early career programs, um, and which I love doing. I highly encourage everybody to check out the Comcast rotational programs. Um, and then, uh, but I, I interview a lot of like early career people because of that. And no one, no one is coming out of school and going, ooh, I want to get myself involved in a PHP project, right? It's just not, you know, it doesn't have the, the longevity um, as a kind of a relevant language um, in five or 10 years. Will it still be around? I think so, 100%. It will still be there. Um, but I just, I, I think that it will be harder and harder to find people that are willing to like dive into a project like that. Um, I also think that it has, a reputation of, you know, continues to have a reputation of really being too monolithic in a world where, you know, people are probably going too much in the, you know, kind of microservices type direction and whatever in certain cases. I think there are cases to be made for a monolithic 
application. Um, but because that is the, you know, I mean, it's not even new any, anymore, but over the last several years, that's kind of where the industry has been going and where a lot of the, the applications have been going. I think that that's another tough hurdle for Drupal to, to overcome. Um, I think they've been taking steps. I think that there are, you know, um, you know, a lot of the efforts around decoupling the front end of the back end have been huge, and that's a big, important, you know, piece. Um, but um, I think it's going to be tough in ten years to to think that Drupal is still a relevant product. Um, I hope it is. Um, one thing that Drupal has been good at, and the community has been good at, is is adjusting and adapting. Um, but it does take a long time. And those two things don't work great, right? We're good at adjusting, but it takes us a while to do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I, 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 I share all those sentiments. I mean, WordPress based on PHP powers something like forty percent of the internet, and so you know, yeah, it's it's extremely prevalent PHP, but yeah. unfortunately. You know, younger generations kind of view it as you know Fortran, like what you know, yeah. like you know, like, exactly. You know. Oh, that's my that's my grandfather's programming language. You know, yeah. This <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that's a huge challenge. You know, we need to bring contributors into the community. You know, we had an experience with a, a Fortune 500 company where we built a mission critical application and we handed it off to an internal team, and they came in and were like, "We're not using PHP." Like, you know, <laughs> and they, you know, they may, you know, I, I, I won't get into it, but like that was their, you know, their their biggest, you know, so visceral. You know, mm -hmm. it didn't matter. Like, it wasn't about Drupal. It, you know, you know, they're like, "Wow, it's amazing what you did in such a short period of time." But like PHP, <laughs> yeah. I have a, uh, we're running out of time. We've got to wrap up, but I'll share this real quick. Sure. I remember uh, DrupalCon Copenhagen and Rasmus Leardoff was the keynote speaker one day. And mm -hmm. someone asked him, you know, during the QA, like, where do you see yourself, you know, or, you know, in, you know, you know, you know, with PHP in, in like whatever years. And he's like, oh my, you know, effing God, if I'm still doing this and, you know, in, in five years, like, you know, just shoot me. <laughs> you know, And that was, you know, 10 plus years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, and there's the creator of PHP, but I think that has to do more with like leading an open source project. And right. you know, that community has had its struggles than the language itself. Yeah. I, I mean it's yeah. I, I'm I'm actually very, very curious to see what will be in, in 10 years. Um because I don't think that I have um I mean nobody knows, but I don't think I know. I think that there's some some pieces of the puzzle that I'm that I'm missing. So we'll see. We'll find out together. I'm hopeful. You know, it's lasted 20 years, you know, which is, you know, well beyond most technologies, well beyond most technologies. And um, so I'm hopeful, like you said, we've always adapted. There's always been change. Um, I don't know what the future will be. Um, I like to ask every guest to pass the torch. Um, if, you know, uh, you know, who should I interview next? Who should you interview next? Um, well, of the, of the folks that I've been interacting with most recently, um, uh, uh, 
Jake, who runs the who owns the web form modules, has been doing a ton of stuff. I don't know if you've talked to him already on this, but um, I think he's a he's he's got some really fascinating views on how to sustain open source in a world where it does take a ton of your time and it does take a ton of your energy and resources. Um, so I would I would point you in that direction. I uh, Rockowitz, Jake. Yeah. Yeah, I had a leading one of the 30 Rock, you know, New York City meetups. I had a conversation with him, you know, probably for 20 minutes. We didn't even make it to the bar. You know, we right. just got stuck <laughs> in the lobby, uh, you know, talking about, you know, what you mentioned, open source contribution process. And um, that's a really great recommendation. I, yeah. I would love to chat with him more about that. Yeah. All right. Well, awesome. consider the torch pass. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. I uh, really appreciate you uh, joining us. For all our viewers, we appreciate you joining us as well. Uh, please remember to upvote, subscribe, share it out. Uh, you can check out all our interviews in this series at tagone.com slash 2020. <laughs> you can also check out our Tagone team talks and the latest technology topics at tagone.com slash talks. Uh, as always, love your feedback. Please reach out with topic suggestions, folks you think we should interview. Uh, you can reach us at talks at tag1.com. That's T-A-G, the number one.com. Uh, Alex, thank you so much again, and um, we'll see everybody soon. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you.